You're listening to a podcast from the BMJ. Welcome to the BMJ podcast. I'm Harriet Vickers. The concept of public health has a long and varied history and has ranged in focus from sanitation to knowledge and behaviour to technological innovation to biological understanding. In an essay published on bmj.com this week, Tim Lang and Jeff Rayner from the Centre for Food Policy argue that the public health we need today is ecological public health, addressing our coexistence with nature and our relationships with one another. They also hope that it will be social movements that drive public health forward and increase its prominence in society. So later, I speak to members of the People's Health Movement to find out what they are doing in the UK. But firstly, more about the vision of ecological public health. I'm at City University this evening at a symposium on ecological public health. This is the brainchild of Jeff Rayner, who's Honorary Fellow at the Centre for Food Policy, and Tim Lang, who's Professor of Food Policy at the Centre for Food Policy. Um, I've nabbed them both after the talks, and also David Pension, who's Director of the NHS Sustainability Development Unit. So thanks all for your insights this evening. Jeff, I'm going to start with you, and could you just sum up for us what is ecological public health? What is the basic premise? It's really thinking about the conditions which shape public health, the relationship of the world we live in to us, uh, the biological environment, the material factors of life, the rooms we enter if people are smoking or even eating, they cue our own behaviour. So it's all the factors together. So ecological public health is thinking in ecological terms, that's in terms of all the social relationships which set the conditions for human society, but specifically in terms of thinking about the characteristics of the shaping of our collective dimensions of health. And you and Tim have written an essay for the BMJ on this subject. In that you write, public health has become disengaged from its uh, original premise, which is obviously to facilitate good health. I just get the impression that you think it's punching below its weight. Why do you think that? I think that's probably true, but actually we're more optimistic than that. Public health actually has a very chequered career. Sometimes it's transformed the conditions. At other times it's been blowing in the wind. It's been getting nowhere. Uh, We're in a world economic meltdown, a crisis of the... Eurozone. Political leaders want to get us back to business as usual. Where's health in that? It's something that's seen as expensive health care. So in a sense, there's a reversion to a very conventional, very pedestrian, very retrograde view of health, not even public health. In and through the lens of ecological public health, we have a sophisticated way of thinking about the relationship between human physiology health, not just ill health, and ecosystems. If we look at diet and the impact of food on health through the lens of ecological public health, you put together energy use, oil dependency of food systems, and the complete distortions of price, how price signals are out of touch with the earth and with our bodies. If that isn't an argument for ecological public health, I don't know what is. And it may not have mainstream political engagement yet, but it will do. David, you said this evening that you want to see the health service redefined. Could you tell me 
a bit more about that. And if, from your perspective in the NHS, you think it needs to foreground this ecological perspective? Well, Tim and Jeff have already put the point quite well that actually we have a very immature and, and, and probably not fit for purpose definition of health. If you think of Amartya Sen's definition of health, and that is to live a life that one has reason to value, then you'll see that the role of the health service and of health professionals is quite different than just dealing with the consequences of many, many preventable causes of, of ill health. And I think most, most physicians, most healthcare workers, get frustrated that they pick up the consequences of a system which doesn't actually promote health generally whether it's unemployment or bad diet or poor physical activity. I mean, the consequence is that, sadly, within the health service in this country, not only do we reward for activity and not for outcome, we are also treating the healthcare system as a sort of medico-industrial complex, which is not only becoming financially unsustainable, but it's becoming socially unsustainable and environmentally unsustainable. And when you bring those three together... And we emulate actually what some successful companies are doing, is looking at the triple bottom line of how can we do this within financial limits, how can we produce a good output in terms of social and health and welfare, and how can we do it within environmental limits. The beauty of the healthcare system is that actually that sweet spot is much larger than we think. For instance, if you think we could involve patients and public much more in their own health, meaningfully. I mean, supported self-care. Uh, we can use technology, simple technology like the telephone, much better in giving people control over their own health. We don't have to bring everybody to hospital. Hospitals are unsafe, they're often expensive, they're convenient. There are some very good opportunities for care outside the hospital, which we've talked about for years and years, but we've never truly delivered it. There are very big co-benefits which is good for the patient, it's good for the public, it's good for the purse, and it's good for the planet. Coming to that issue of value, how are we going to make policymakers value this environmental health and the way it impacts on our health? I mean, if we want to build a park somewhere, are we going to have to do some kind of cost-benefit analysis of how green spaces can decrease mental illness and obesity? Or, or is there another way? I don't think it's going to be as subtle as that. I think, sadly... It's going to be driven through economic arguments. It's why it's very important to try and get economists involved in these choices. When people see the financial benefits of a more ecological health system, a more ecological public health system, where all these co-benefits are brought together, sadly, I think it's going to be the money that's going to be the true mover. When we reward people professionals or systems for promoting health, not for dealing with illness, when we get some of these perverse incentives corrected, you might find there's actually some real creativity and innovation untapped in systems that can actually reward people for, for genuinely promoting health. Can I just add to that? The case for public health that was made in the early part of the mid part of the 19th century by Chadwick and others was actually based on cost-benefit analysis. Um, Chadwick's argument in his, in his survey was that the cost of the uh, deaths or the ill health of the, the economic actor in the family, generally the man, um, actually the consequences of them being ill fell upon the family and therefore fell upon the state. So the original case for public health 
which, which was utilitarian, remains there. What we've got to do is using that baseline of an economic case for public health, but also building it into a values case for public health, that we value also uh, the health of everybody because it affects us. Our argument is that if you look at heaven, you have foresight, then you see that public health arguments are allied to the environmental arguments about the state of nature, and actually it is irresistible, the logic. What politicians need, you know, we're asking big things of them, but actually you know, they can do it, we can hold their hands, we can give them the arguments to some degree, and it's going back to the people who are listening to this at the BMJ, you must be part of it too. It is about people who work in the NHS saying it's not just the cost you know, on us or the delivery of services. It is about producing real economic benefits because we're tackling disease, ill health at source. David, Jeff and Tim, thank you very much. And thank you. Yeah, thank you. Jeff's call for social movements to drive forward public health and link it up with other aspects of society coincides with the launch of the People's Health Movement in the UK. The movement was formed in Bangladesh in 2000 to campaign for health for all through local grassroots groups. However, it's only recently formed a circle in the UK, holding its first assembly in Nottingham last month. I went along and spoke to some of the members to see how doctors are becoming activists. My name is David Blaine. I'm a GP in Glasgow and I've been involved in uh, the GPs at the Deep End Project in Scotland which has brought together the 100 GPs in the most deprived parts of Scotland to discuss the, the issues related to being a doctor in, in those areas, to delivering good primary care and some of the challenges and, and, and trying to come together with some possible solutions. And tell me a bit about the, the research that you've done with GPs at the deep end. I wouldn't call it research as such. What we have done is a thing called the austerity report. It's practitioner experience. What we asked was about what the GPs thought were the effects of austerity measures on patients' health and on their practices. And uh, we produced a sort of six-page report on the back of that and then distributed that to uh, MPs in Scotland and Scottish MSPs and other third sector organisations as well. Do you think it made a difference? I guess it's early days, but it certainly had a lot of interest. It's resulted in consultations with Scottish uh, politicians and the health board. So, fingers crossed. My name's Sarah Walpole and I'm a Foundation Year 2 doctor. Um, I've been involved with environmental campaigning since I was a medical student and I think I only really entered medicine um, because I wanted to improve health and well-being and that's really what got me into the environmental issues, realising that you can't improve health unless you have a healthy environment in, in which people can live. So I have been working um, to set up a campaign called Healthy Planet and in the last two years I went part-time in my clinical training so that I could do research and teaching um, around the environment and health and how we as health professionals could address some of those issues. Mm. And what are the big issues that you want to tackle or what sparked you to, to get involved with this? I think the issues around... Um, the environment are that local action has an impact um, on the globe and on the on health both in our country and in other countries and it tends to be the poorest people that will be worst affected if we allow our business to carry on as usual and if we continue to overuse resources um, and 
to pollute in the way that we are at the moment, but that there is a kind of healthy alternative that involves more local action um, and focusing on, on local healthy communities, active lifestyles, healthier diets. Yes, I'm uh, John Lister. I'm the Information Director of uh, London Health Emergency and I've been campaigning on the National Health Service and healthcare issues for 28 years. There's a very welcome development amongst a lot of uh, GPs and uh, hospital doctors as well who've become... It took them quite a while to cotton on to what the uh, Lansley Bill actually meant. But in the final stages, the final six months or so, there was a lot of activity in the Royal Colleges. There was uh, very active email lists. The doctors became activists and out there campaigning with us. And I hope this is going to lay the basis for continuing to uh, uh, resist the uh, privatisation and other attacks that we see coming on the National Health Service. We've got a lot of cuts coming down the line. Obviously, this is a a big issue, the privatisation of the NHS. Do you think there could be... Successful? Do you think these kind of movements and very grassroots um, bodies can actually do something about it? Well, the trouble is the government actually has the uh, control in its hands. The government can pretty much do on a day-to-day basis normally what it likes. We have to try to make it as difficult as possible for them. I think you can't guarantee we can win a campaign. What you can guarantee is if we don't campaign, it will happen anyway, and we'll feel really bad about not having done anything about it. So what we can say is, you know, let's get stuck in, and maybe we can actually throw a spanner in the works and stop some of the worst things in Andrew Lansley's Act actually taking effect. Johnny Curry is coordinating the people's health movement in the UK and is also a junior doctor. I caught up with him on the phone to hear more about the movement and where he sees it going. I think we are sort of generating a lot of interest and ideas already. I think there's already a huge um, movement that's already starting to resist the reforms. And although we did see the Health and Social Care Bill unfortunately pass through Parliament, a lot of activists are starting to say, what happens next? And already there's there's an idea in motion that perhaps in the years to come we can try to focus at a political level how we can get a new NHS kind of package, a new NHS healthcare system modelled on a healthcare bill. And I think this is one of the ideas that we can share from our PHM friends abroad. In India, for instance, I think a lot of people had given up in relying on policymakers to institute the reforms that they wanted to see. So eventually they produced their own plans and and they spent several months or years getting them into parliament. And this can be really successful. So instead of resisting a lot of the changes, I think a lot of activists and campaigners have been doing in the last couple of years, I think we want to take more of a a kind of proactive step Mm. and focus in the next five to 10 years both in environmental ways, in uh, healthcare levels, but also just at a grassroots level, how do we get communities involved in their own healthcare? Hmm. And tell me a bit more about what the, the People's Health Movement is, is doing internationally. Where are the, what's the main focus with, it, with this? I have to say I'm quite a newcomer to the People's Health Movement. I mean, I've met some very interesting friends abroad when I've travelled the last couple of years that have done some really exciting work. And as you correctly say, I think it all came from Bangladesh in the year 2000 when for kind of 10, 20 years, everybody had been aspiring to this health for all sentiment that had been generated by the Alma Mater conference. And everybody realised that probably the best way to sort of provide and address healthcare was at a kind of population or primary care level. Um, unfortunately, all the aspirations that were expressed in the Alma Mater conference didn't really reach fruition. So huge number of movements, I think there were over... 1,200 people present in Bangladesh from sort of 70, 80 countries, which is an immense amount of representation globally. They came together and, and said, what are we going to do to generate sort of inspiration and action that we really need 
to address health and social justice issues. My kind of reflections on PHM would be they do two things. They provide international enthusiasm and solidarity in, in kind of sharing passion between countries. But I think most importantly, they always address their action on a local or national level. Because mm. I think although we realise that global processes are vastly important for addressing individuals and community health, that you have to take local action to actually uh, make any meaningful progress. And I think that's why PHM actually makes quite a lot of important achievements. Sure. And what was it that made you join? What was what was it that pushed you to, to become involved with this? I think it's difficult to often feel how you can make a preventative impact on a lot of the health uh, problems that we face today in the UK and it's very challenging working in UK hospitals because a lot of the people that come through our doors are going to be from more marginalised populations and that's a natural sort of consequence of the sort of health inequalities and the kind of uh, income inequalities that we face in the UK and I think a lot of people know that preventative action is the best cure and it's the cheapest one and it's the fairest one and I think I sort of see uh, addressing health inequalities on a kind of more upstream level in, in, in terms of campaigning just has been the kind of the best way we can tackle health inequality as opposed to sort of responding to health challenges that come in through the hospital door. And and with doctors, do you think they do need to be more politically involved? We've, we've seen them rising up for their pensions in the UK. Do you think they should be doing this uh, for other aspects of health which aren't perhaps so self-centred? I think it's up to everybody's individual decision making whether at what level of uh, change they want to get involved in and I think doctors that work in healthcare are obviously already in addressing health inequalities in some fashion um, doctors are campaigning every day in fact and not just when they get involved in questions such as the pension reforms but we all already have campaigning techniques up our sleeves I mean whether or not it's calling the radiologist at 2 o'clock in the morning to try to get them to do an MRI scan or actually if it's just trying to get a patient to change their behaviour in terms of some smoking I think we just want to see that people understand what agenda we're trying to fulfil and that is one of health and social justice as opposed to different agendas that I think um, are more common or prevalent and I think the beauty of PHM's kind of approach or the recipe for change that they have is that they have a shared vision but they have the realisation that people want to work at different levels of that and that could be at the coalface or in the front line or that could involve influencing policymakers in Westminster. Johnny Curry there. If you'd like to find out more about the People's Health Movement, their website is phm-uk.org.uk. Tim Lang and Jeff Rayner's thought-provoking essay is now up on bmj.com and on the same theme, and also available on the site, is an analysis by Gerard Hastings urging public action against the marketing campaigns of multinational corporations. That's all for this week. Next Friday's podcast looks into how to prevent those who've attempted suicide doing so again. Join us then. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.